HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Will Harris, and today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is Greenhorn Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. I'm coming to you from Hudson Valley. Beautiful day. It's hot. We have a lot of events coming up, and we're just hustling around. I'm here with Hannah Ray, who is a young activist and student at Middlebury College. Hannah, are you there? Hey. How's it going over there? How's the weather in Vermont? Um, it's pretty good. It's been a little, a little dry, but, um, we're hanging in there. So tell us what you've got growing in the garden at Middlebury, or tell us a little bit about the program that you're a part of. Um, well, I'm actually part of a couple programs here. Um, I, I grew up on a farm in northern Michigan, so, uh, when I came to Middlebury, I immediately looked for all of the farmy things I could get myself into. Um, so I actually, I live in the Sustainable Living House, which is really more of a, a local food house. Um, we buy and eat um, all of our food from within 100 miles, um, with like an exception for oats comes from 120 miles. Um, and we serve that food to the 18 house residents. And um, a few nights a week, we have these open dinners where anyone from the town or the campus community can come and have a local meal for free. Um, and the college gives us a budget to do that, which is um, not always the largest, but we make it work. Um, and I'm also involved in Middlebury's Organic Farm, which is on campus. Um, and we don't have any animals. We're working on that. Um, but it's basically um, about a half acre of, of vegetables, um, pretty much just whatever we want to grow. Uh, I know this year they have a lot of zucchini and um, basil and um, So it's, t- it's time to eat more pesto. And Middlebury huh? College is in Vermont and is known among the liberal arts colleges as being very eco-friendly and that their environmental sciences program is very strong. It was built out of uh, locally, yep. mo- uh, locally mined. Did you say mined? Uh, 
said, locally uh, mined, locally milled lumber and granite from Vermont. I remember because yeah. I took the tour. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure how um, active those industries are anymore. I know that there is some of it, but I think it's not quite as big of a deal as it, as it was. Um, definitely the feeling you get from, from living around here is, is that everyone's very into their agricultural history and um, supporting the local agricultural economy. Um, it's, it's really an extraordinary place to be. You know, I came here from Michigan, and um, it was quite a culture shock to come here and see so many people um, proud of that heritage. So you figured out how to eat nice food while you're at college and you're participating in the organic farm. Uh, what, are mm-hmm. you, what are you studying? What are you hoping to uh, do when you leave school? Or well, how are you thinking about your agricultural career from a college perspective, preparing yourself to leave and, uh, away from the land of budgets and sweet little uh, houses that are nice and paid for and into the world of having uh, to find a job? Um, you know, I, I don't really know at this point. Um, I'm a junior this fall, so I have a little bit of time to figure things out. I'm studying um, environmental science with a focus in biology, um, and I don't know entirely what I'll do with that. I'll probably go to grad school for food studies um, or maybe botanical medicine. Um, if I'm really honest with myself, I'll probably end up going back home to a farm um, in Michigan because um, my parents... Still, they own that land and, and they're farming it, um, and that place just holds a very special place in my heart. Um, so that's probably what I'll end up doing. But I don't know how long convoluted my path will be getting me back there. Um, well, for now, I'm just enjoying a the bio- academic ride. A degree in biology is often very useful if you're thinking about getting a job either as a research assistant or a professor or assistant professor, or um, working for extension, or in the NRCS. Those are all Mm -hmm. places and, you know, part-time jobs slash uh, involvement in the agricultural community jobs that may be a very good complement to working on the farm, especially if your farm is within driving distance of any institution. So I'd say maybe next time you're home visiting for break, you might consider look, visiting your local land trust, your local sustainable ag group, your local uh, university campus, uh, extension office, yep. NRCS office, and just kind of seeing who the players are in your home region, so that you. Yep. If yeah, you, and if I, I have thought about that. I haven't. I haven't done as as much research into it as perhaps I, I should have. But um, I, it is it is something that is on my mind and. Um, you know, my, my biggest goal right now is just to um, aim my education as, as closely in the agricultural, the, specifically the sustainable agricultural direction as I can. Um, and I'm hoping that the details will fall into place later. Like I said, I'm, I'm only a junior, so I have a couple of years left before I really need to start um, figuring out the nitty-gritty details of, you know, obtaining access to land and, and um, capital to start up. Uh, well, don't get too comfortable. That's all I'm going to say. But it sounds like <laughs> no, you're having an no, awesome time. I'm by nature, not, not someone to sit on my butt and get too comfortable. 
Um, that's good. I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm not kidding, actually, at all. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more what's going on uh, on Middlebury campus, or are you involved? Uh, have you been participating in any of these kind of intra-campus networks of food activism, and can you report a little bit about uh, what's going on from a campus perspective? Um, uh, and in terms of, can you give me examples? Say it again. Like what? What kind of networks? Uh, well, there's a Real Food Challenge, and there's the Coalition for Immokalee Workers Fair Food Campaign, and there are other networks like that that try and get radicalized college kids to do good organizing, which, of course, is very effective because yeah. the ambition of young yeah. people is um, the best. There, there are students on campus who are working with the dining halls directly to try and um, specifically, I, I believe there's a group working with the Real Food Challenge, um, trying to get the dining halls to serve more local, sustainably raised food. Um, Middlebury has a pretty unique situation in that um, we don't contract out our dining services. So it's not Sodexo or Chartwells or any of these other big companies who are coming in and giving us a really rather limited um, selection um, in terms of what we can buy. Um, it's all Middlebury College employees, and all of the buying decisions are up to them. Um, so it's pretty unique in that way, and, and it allows us to do things like... Um, the dining halls already um, do quite a bit of local food. Um, the difficulty comes down to money, um, and that was where I threw up my hands with the, the whole battle with the dining hall um, and decided to put my energy into um, Waybridge House, which is where I live now, um, because I feel like that's a much more effectual way to get people exposed to the realities of eating an all-local diet um, in such a northern climate, and, you know, mo most people think, oh, like, Vermont, like, you can't eat an all-local diet in Vermont. What are you going to do in January? Um, but it's really very possible. Um, you know, we have about an $18,000 budget, and we serve 18 people for the whole school year, plus we have these open dinners where there might be 30 people who show up, and we do that several times a week. Um, and it, it just... For me, it's much more beneficial, um, and I, I think that it's more beneficial to the community to put my energy towards um, opening up this discussion around just how attainable it is to eat an all-local diet, even in a northern climate, even on a budget, even when you're swamped with schoolwork. Um, most people just don't realize that. Um, and so putting dining halls, like getting local food in the dining halls is, is really great. Um, and I definitely am 100% behind the students who are fighting that battle on our campus right now. Um, but it's not nearly as visible, and it's not, it's not talked about. Um, whereas an open dinner at Weybridge House, we can discuss the food and where it came from and why we chose this farm over that farm. Um, and those just aren't discussions that would happen if the same food ended up in the dining hall. Well, I admire this analysis, and, uh, you know, in some ways, there's this campaign, all these campaigns and these networks exist around 
the country at these various campuses where students are proactively addressing issues of procurement and non-sweatshop labor for the goods of the school and local food for the dining halls and, um, you know, trying to get sustainability uh, guidelines and commitments from the campus. You know, you could make... Mm-hmm. Are you there? Hello, Severn. I'm here. I'm here. It always happens. Hello? Hey. Uh, and so, I'm, and so I, you know, it's interesting because when I was in college, there was this whole cohort of awesome, organized young women organizing around similar issues uh, with the campus, which was the University of California. And we were off, like, inventing our own uh, organization in the, in the grassroots capacity. And, and instead of being kind of defined by, uh, you know, institutional confrontation or an institutional framework that demands certain ways of producing change and engaging in logistics, we engaged in our own logistics. And I think, you know, we're forced to be a lot more entrepreneurial and creative as a result. So I think it's very positive what you're describing. And, and you know, from all the conversations that I've had talking with people uh, who, as students, started organic farms, you know, then we look back at the people who are running those farms and, and you know, dealing with the formalization and institutionalization of, of the farm that they started. And we're like, wow, we had so much more fun because we got to start it than the people who are yeah. just maintaining it. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a lot of the reason that I like I I feel so much more fulfilled doing what I do. You know, I, I do feel like it's more effectual to reach out to people, but I definitely personally feel a lot more fulfilled actually getting my hands dirty in the kitchen or in the garden and and getting people to to talk about it. So, how do you manage the logistics of? Um of a communal household without having that much extra time? Do you, do you get in any training on spreadsheets or do you use Google Docs or what's your, like, management um, strategy? You know, it honestly changes every year depending on who is living in the house and what their experience is with, with Google Docs or Excel or um, anything. Um, mostly, I mean, it, it's 18 people. So um, we have a couple of interns every summer who um, are just in charge of preserving everything we need for the year. So it's just a lot of canning and freezing and drying. Um, And they spend the bulk of our food budget um, during the last few months of summer and the early fall. Um, And then in terms of cooking and keeping the house clean and all that, that is just, it's a rotating basis, and we, we just all put in a couple hours every week um, to make these meals happen. Um, and it, it all works out, it works out surprisingly smoothly. Um, the, the, the hardest part of it, honestly, is, is figuring out how we're going to feed 18 people um, plus serve these open dinners on $18,000 a year. Um, it becomes quite a trick, but... I think that's part of the beauty of it as well because it forces us, um, like right now I'm on Middlebury's campus um, preserving food and 
it forces us to interact with these farmers and develop these really personal relationships with the community farmers. And then they know that, oh, like, we can call Weybridge House if we have way too many tomatoes that, like, aren't really good enough quality to sell at the farmer's market. Maybe they're, like, a bunch of split heirloom tomatoes that are really fine, but they're really ugly. Um, and so they can sell them to us for discounted rates. Or, for example, last week we um, went and picked through a farmer's cornfield, um, sweet corn, and um, they gave it to us for free because they had gotten what they wanted out of there, and it was just, like, the leftovers that were there. Um, and so when, when you are forced to develop these relationships, then it really starts feeling like you're um, not just so much inside this, like, collegiate bubble, um, you know, always focusing on academics and, like, nothing else really matters. Like, you just go to the dining hall for your food, and your food is just for nourishment. It's not really for any ethical reason or, or um, pleasure of any sort. Like, um, it's just there to feed you. Um, and it really makes you feel like you're part of part of the community here, which I personally makes me feel like I'm, like, grounded here a little bit in, in this place. Um, which is really important to me, and I think it's really important to a lot of my housemates as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, that's that's probably my favorite part about all of this is that I get to interact on such a personal level with with all the community farmers. Well, and of course, that's a very important part of your education. I I I commend oh, you definitely. for going out and figuring it out. So many, yeah. so many of us are not trained in kind of adaptive relationship management where you have many different relationships and uh, many different, you know, you're not never necessarily always square with everyone. Like you might owe them something and they might owe you something and there's a little bit of a back and forth. But that mm-hmm. seems like it is a, a realistic expectation of what your life might be, particularly if you're, I mean, if you're, certainly if you're farming, all the yeah. relationships you have with vendors and restaurants and suppliers and your post yeah, office. Yeah, and, and even yeah. other farmers and, and, you know, really becoming a part of the community is, is so important as a farmer, I feel like. Um, and uh, it definitely makes me feel a little bit more at home here that I can, um, that I've found a way to do that. Um, within this Vermont context, this collegiate context. And have you have you learned anything uh, from kind of being part of the food scene in Vermont that you might bring back to Michigan, you know, in terms of niches that don't yet exist uh, in your local market at home that you see kind of developed in the Vermont food scene? Or do you have already a sense oh. of where you might be guiding your home food region forward in the next, you know, if you're looking ahead kind of long-term, like 20, 30 years? You know, I don't, I can't think of anything specifically. Um, the Vermont local food seed is just honestly so much more massive than, than where I come from in Michigan, and, and the attitude towards it is, is so in, in fundamentally different. Um, you know, here, as I said earlier, people are very proud of, their agricultural heritage, and not only their agricultural heritage, but their, like, small-scale sustainable agricultural heritage, whereas Michigan, where there is agricultural heritage, it's all industrial-scale, you know, Monsanto, corn and soy, and, um, 
it's just a very different attitude towards what it is to be a farmer. Um, you know, here I feel like being a farmer is like a very respected position in the community, um, and I don't feel like that's the case in Michigan. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm not, like, that is one of the things that I would like to address throughout my life is, like, how do we make it so that people see that farmers are an extremely important part of the community. They're, they're the ones who are providing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how to get at that question. Um, like, more specifically, I guess, in Vermont, there's a lot more people who are doing, like, specialty products, like, like um, honeys and wines and, um, I guess, value-added products. Um, whereas in Michigan, it's really just, like, produce straight up. Um, um, so like that, so maybe, that the, is something. maybe the preserving that you're doing is good training for doing value-added products. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I and I love to cook, and and I grew up doing all this um, with food from my own farm, and um, so it, it's just like second nature to me at this point. Like I I don't, it's it's just. It wouldn't feel like fall if I wasn't canning. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I've definitely, like, learned a lot um, about um, fruit trees in general. Um, like, that is not something that's really possible in Michigan. It's, it's Where I come from, Michigan, is, like, the very northern part, and it's quite a bit colder than it is here. Um so it's just not possible to grow things like peaches like we can get here. Um, so that's that's been kind of fun for me. Um, but that's and are, have you been attending can... all the conferences? Like, did you go to NOFA Vermont? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were they were fun. Um, I I predict, I did, didn't really enjoy NOFA. Um, there has been some organizing around um, bringing all of the Northeastern College farms together. Um, and I, to be honest, like, I haven't found that particularly useful. Um, I unfortunately find a lot of the college farms to not be very well run, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, and I, I wish there was a better way to address it. Um, you know, I think it's just a, a factor of, like, uh, students are so incredibly transient. You know, they're in and out in four years. And... It's really hard to settle down and get yourself attached to a farm in four years and then let go of it all of a sudden. Um, but NOFA was, well, NOFA was excellent. Um, yeah, definitely recommend yeah. that to anyone who's at all interested in any aspect of farming, from the actual getting your hands in the dirt all the way to, to marketing your products through retail or restaurants. So um, one thing to just tag is there's a really amazing nursery called um, St. Lawrence Nursery, and Bill McKinley often presents at NOFA. He definitely does the summer NOFA conference in Massachusetts, but uh, he's in St. Lawrence, New York, which is right up next to Canada, and mm -hmm. very, very cold, and he sells, you know, varieties that are adapted to that climate, choke cherries and a lot of, like, Siberian weirdo fruits and aronia and uh, uh, sea buckthorn and 
all but really cool old cherries and apples and pears and cane fruit. And I mean, pretty much everything, but all the cold stuff. So maybe next time you're dawdling along, along out online, check out um, St. Lawrence Nurseries. They have an online catalog, too. Yeah, maybe it will be I, I will. Experimental Thank planting. you. Uh, well, it's really nice to hear from you, and do you have any upcoming events or harvest fairs or entreaties to potential applicants uh, to Middlebury College for how the future um, of this project you're working on might go or, or how people should, why people should consider going to Middlebury if they're interested in farming as a career? Um, well, I mean, you can, you can get a hold of, of me. Um, I'm one of the BRAs of the house here. Um, there's a, a new website that's getting up. It's greenpoodle.com.net. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and it's listing all of the Middlebury College, um, kind of like all of their green initiatives is bringing us all together and um, trying to get us on, on a unified front so that it's easier for incoming students to, to figure out which ones they want to devote their time to. Um, I don't have dates set yet, but um, probably in about seven or eight weeks we'll be having our, our fall feast. Um, which is a massive event, um, and I'm sure that the Middlebury website will, or the Middlebury blog will, will have details about that um, in a few weeks. Um, so anyone is welcome to come. It's one of, one of my sad things that uh, we often don't get very many town community members to come. Um, we, we get a lot of people from the campus, but we don't get very many people from the larger Middlebury community. Um, but we're working on that. Well, if you've got a poster, you're welcome to forward it out to us, and we'll put it on our blog if there's any people in Vermont okay. who, are on our, who are blog readers, which I think there kind of are some. That might be a, a, useful, a useful component in your outreach campaign. And I wish you so much luck in learning all this good organizing. And right, creating, thank you. creating a system of your own design. It's very impressive. Okay, thank you. It was great to talk to you. Great to talk to you, too. This is Severin of Greenhorns Radio. We are here in the main street of Hudson at Greenhorns headquarters uh, at the corner of the park. We have a lot of events coming up this, this month of September. It's kind of insane. I don't know how, I mean, it's really, really kind of insane. Why do we all celebrate in September? I don't know, but we do, because that's when the tomatoes are here, I guess. So go check out the events page, Maker Fair NYC, Common Ground Fair in Maine, Farm Aid in Pennsylvania, then also for, uh, the Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown this coming weekend is an animal power event. Uh, if you haven't been to the Farmers Museum in Cooperstown, New York, it is amazing. So anyway, you can go www.thegreenhorns.net, click on events. Thank you, Heritage Radio. This is it. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.